It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Well, folks, very excited for Herd Mentality, and you guys supplied some great questions, some stuff that allows us to dive into some of the early season trends for the Buffalo Bills, both offensively and defensively. So let's dig into it. The first one comes from Justin. Justin says, with three games in the books for us, what do you want to see on offense moving forward? How do you see it evolving, and what do you want to see more of that they do well? Also, the offensive line looks significantly better this year. Well, I like this question, and we do have a three-game sample size and a lot of season left to go. And as I consider the things that I want to see more of and things that I want them to build upon, I would say first and foremost is first down production. The Bills' first down production this year has not been consistent at all, and that's making second down and third down a lot harder. And I want to see this team have a little bit more consistency being productive. I mean, the Bills are just living in second and 10, second and 12, second and 11, second and nine, and that just makes everything harder. I think they need to be a lot better on first down. So I think that's first and foremost for me. I also want to see the play action percentage go up. Right now, the Bills are running play action on 20.2% of passing uh, passing downs. I want to see that 30, 35%. Uh, so I want to see that get higher. I think Josh Allen is so good with play action, and I want to see them lean into more of it. I want to see more pre-snap motion. Right now, the Bills are second lowest in the NFL in utilization of pre-snap motion which is disappointing. I, I That needs to go way up. It's under 10% right now. Motion just gives you so many indicators as to what looks the defense is in. It's uh, an effective way to get guys moving into their routes. I just don't understand why there's not more of it. I want to see that uptick a ton. I'd love to see more Josh Allen under center. I've talked about this a lot. I think that helps with his timing in the passing game. I think it helps with the play action. I think it helps with receivers and their ability to get into their routes. I think Josh Allen has a tendency to go through his progressions pretty quickly, especially when it comes to that first read. Um, right now, he's not throwing to his first read at a very high percentage at all. I think he's like in the bottom five of the NFL when it comes to percentage of throws that go to the first read. And I think just putting him under center is going to change some of that and it'll allow him to play uh, more effectively. I also think it'll help them run the ball even more because I like the idea, especially in a gap-oriented run scheme, to have that running back moving towards the line of scrimmage when they receive the, the football as opposed to in a static alignment next to the quarterback on a shotgun. So more under center. I think more volume to the slot. 
would be good. You know, the Bills haven't really established a receiver yet that's not named Stefan Diggs with any level of consistency across three games. And so whether that's Gabe Davis or using the slot more, I want to see more consistency to those non-Stefan Diggs weapons. And then I want to see even more James Cook in the passing game. That's one of my big takeaways from watching the All-22 is some of the chances that Josh Allen has had to throw the ball to James Cook in the passing game and what I think the yards after catch there could look like. And so those are some of the things that as I consider this offense that I'd like to see evolve in the coming weeks. And I think you make a good point there about the offensive line. It looks significantly better. The protection schemes are much, much improved. Next one here comes from Brandon. Brandon says, can you dive into the Bills usage of Dalton Kincaid this season? Explain why some of us may feel a bit underwhelmed with his production so far in this very early season. So let's talk about it. A lot of expectations for Dalton Kincaid, and I think that's a good place to start. Expectations. Expectations minus reality equals disappointment. And maybe some of those expectations were a little crazy. I remember when I gave my stat predictions for the season, a lot of people were pretty disappointed with where I had Dalton Kincaid, um, and I still had him over 500 receiving yards as a rookie. But some of y'all are thinking seven, eight, nine hundred yards. So maybe that'll happen. But uh, to this point, the the yardage hasn't been there, but the catches have been there. Uh, Dalton Kincaid is second on the team in catches right now with eleven, and he's on pace for sixty-two. And if he has sixty-two catches this year, that would be the fifth most in NFL history for a rookie tight end. Pause. He's on pace for sixty-two catches, which would be the fifth most in NFL history for a tight end. Right now, he's eighth in the NFL among all tight ends for receptions. And that's coming off of a game where he caught two passes. So my encouragement would be for everyone to just let this play out. It's three games. He has 11 catches, which is, as we just went through, a very healthy amount. He's on the field for 64% of the offensive snaps. He's out there. They trust him. And I would expect things to ramp up, especially down the field. And so I think this is a wrinkle to the offense that I expect to evolve as the season moves along. But again, expectations minus reality equals disappointment. If you thought Dalton Kincaid as a rookie was going to go out there and have a thousand receiving yards, you maybe needed to check your expectations um, because he's kind of on track based on the way that I've perceived him settling into this offense and how I think it's going to evolve. In fact, he's ahead of schedule for me. I didn't have him catching 62 passes this year. And right now he's on pace to do that through the first three games of his career, including a game where he caught two passes. So I expect this to ramp up for sure. And um, I don't I don't think he's off schedule at all. I don't think he's off schedule at all. He's on the field 64% of the offensive snaps. And he's second on the team in catches. It'll grow. It'll grow. He's talented. He's shown us he's talented. Now it's about finding his place in this offense and and there's going to be more for him for sure but disappointed or anything like that I mean that's that's not a a word anybody should be using for Dalton Kincaid right now Alex says and Alex really wants to put me on the on the spot here I, I respect the question here from Alex Alex says do you think Terrell Bernard so far has been a better middle linebacker than Edmonds ever was for us Woo! Now, I love what I'm seeing from Terrell Bernard. I really do. You guys have heard me the last three weeks just rave about what this guy has shown, not only after watching the game, but 
especially after the All-22 reviews. This guy's been playing at a high level producing. Let me let me break this down for you a little bit. Because one of the biggest conversations that we had with Tremaine Edmonds was splash plays. When are the splash plays going to come? And honestly, folks, they never came. So far in three games this season, Terrell Bernard has two sacks, one fumble recovery, two interceptions, and two tackles for loss. In three games. Three games. Tremaine Edmonds' best seasons. Two sacks in a season. That's the most he ever had in a season for the Bills. Terrell Bernard through three games already has two. Tremaine Edmonds never recovered a fumble during his time with the Buffalo Bills. It never happened. Terrell Bernard only has already has one of them. He should have two. Remember that play against Washington where I think it was Terry McLaurin. He fumbled, but they called forward progress, and it wasn't forward progress, and it was clearly a fumble. He should have had two in that game. Edmonds didn't have one his entire career in Buffalo in five seasons as a starter. The most amount of interceptions that Edmonds ever had in a season was two, and he only had more than one interception in a season one time. Well, obviously, Terrell Bernard already has two interceptions this year. And the most Edmonds ever had in a season for tackles for loss was 10, and Bernard already has two. So when you're talking splash plays and just making big plays, Bernard is on a trajectory here that Edmonds never came close to. And I I don't know, like, the sample size needs to grow, and I have a lot of respect for Tremaine Edmonds. I think he's a good football player. But I think we're getting, I don't think we are getting more production out of Terrell Bernard, and his instincts have been there as well. What he's doing in coverage and against the run is really, really good. His communication is on point. And so I respect Tremaine Edmonds a lot. I really do, and good for him and his $18 million a year that he's getting with the Chicago Bears. But Terrell Bernard is a better fit for what this defense wants to be under Sean McDermott, and that's very clear. And they told us that this offseason. They talked about wanting to have two matchup linebackers and some of the restrictions that you had with Tremaine Edmonds. And between the price tag on Edmonds and what they want this middle linebacker to do makes a lot of sense leaning into Bernard. And my goodness, has he absolutely delivered through three games. Now stay healthy and keep it up. And if he does, I mean, this is going to be one of the most dynamic playmaking linebackers in the NFL. If he maintains close to this pace across an entire season, Terrell Bernard will be regarded as one of the most dynamic playmaking linebackers in the NFL. That's how good he's been through three games. All right, folks, a bunch more to get to here today. But first, our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy matchups each week all season long. So whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Jaguars wide receiver Calvin Ridley has the classic rebound and revenge opportunity in London in the Week 4 Sunday matchup against his former team, the Falcons. Ridley has been very quiet with Jacksonville's passing game slumping the past two weeks, but he will return to his more stellar form in it from his Week 1 debut against his new team. The Jaguars will do better of scheming him open across the pond and making his massive target volume 
from Trevor Lawrence count big time again. Vinny Iyer from Lockdown Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows that a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebay.com slash motors. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The next one here comes from Harry. Harry says, after you consume the All-22, I'm curious to know who you see as a potential cut candidate for the pending Von Miller move. I'm leaning towards releasing Shaq Lawson. So this is a a fun question and something the Bills are going to have to decide on pretty quickly here because after this Dolphins game, Von Miller is eligible to come off the pup list. And so they can activate him and he can play against Jacksonville next week. He can play against the Giants the following week. We're going to see Von Miller pretty soon. And that means they're going to have to make a corresponding move to activate him. And so. First of all, an injury this week could take care of it, right? You could have somebody go down, you put them on injured reserve, you activate Von Miller, there's your moves, right? Your move and your corresponding move. But let's live in a world where nobody gets injured. And that's the world I hope that we do live in. I think it comes down to Shaq Lawson, who you mentioned, or Kingsley Jonathan. You know, they have five defensive ends on the roster right now. And I don't think that it's going to be six, right? It's going to be one of these defensive events. And so, and considering whether it's going to be Lawson or Jonathan, this is what I'll say. Shaq Lawson has played 47% of the Bills' defensive snaps this year. And he's been active for all three games. Kingsley Jonathan played 12 snaps so far this year in a blowout win over the Commanders in the only game that he's been active for. And the reason he was active was because Leonard Floyd had an ankle injury. And so, to me, it's going to be Kingsley Jonathan. Like, predictively, it's going to be Kingsley Jonathan. Like, great story. He made the team. But so did Shaq Lawson. And Shaq Lawson is active in playing nearly half the snaps. And so I could be wrong. For sure, but predictively, I think it's going to be Kingsley Jonathan, and I think the process that I just showed you um, is good, and if I'm wrong, it's not because my process isn't good. I think it's going to be Kingsley Jonathan. Next one here comes from Handsome. Handsome uh, shared a chart, and maybe you saw this if you've been on social media this week, but it's a chart that shows that the Bills have the lowest blitz percentage in the NFL defensively, but also the highest sack percentage in the NFL defensively. And so Handsome would like me to comment on this and said, is it individual players winning winning one-on-one or is McDermott doing something from a scheme standpoint? He said, it seems like players are playing loose and fast, not overthinking. So yeah, the Bills pass rush has been good so far this year. Um, I think you got a number of things working together. First of all, like you mentioned, guys are winning one-on-one. I mean, that's clearly a big part of this formula. You're not sending extra rushers you're rushing for and guys are winning but they're also rushing together you know you you think about pass rushing and you think about a pass rusher 
and pass rush moves and beating blocks. And that's great. And that's part of the pie. But you got to have pressure coming from multiple directions. I talked about this a little bit on the All-22 Review, and I brought up the name Jerry Hughes. And Jerry Hughes is an underappreciated player in the history of the Buffalo Bills because his sack production was just okay. And a lot of that was because there wasn't pressure coming from anywhere else. And if you only get pressure from one spot, it's easy for quarterbacks to step up away from the pressure or move away from the pressure. You need pressure from multiple spots to keep that quarterback in in the same spot so you can sack them and get them down. The Bills are getting good complementary pressure and guys are working together. They're playing off of one another. They're setting picks and guys are being able to loop around. Like it's very, it's a very coordinated pass rush. But also your coverage has been really good. Your coverage is synced up with your pass rush. And when those things can work together and complement each other, it's a beautiful thing. And that's what you're seeing from this Bills defense through three games. So those are the contributing factors. Guys winning one-on-ones, rushing together, it's coordinated, and the coverage is synced up with that pass rush. And it's forcing quarterbacks to hold the ball a little bit more. And the pass rush is getting home. Oh, by the way, Von Miller comes back soon. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Next one here comes from Sean. Sean says, I'm seeing at least a few people on social media who are at least credible to some degree in Buffalo sports continue to say Dorsey is doing poorly. I have an issue with a few plays for sure, but overall it has not been bad or at least as much as some make it seem. Maybe I'm off, but it seems like a handful of plays that don't work regardless of if it seems to be an obvious bad call. People think any failure of a potentially important play in a game is a bad call by Ken Dorsey. He said, I hate run plays on any down and long distance, but it seems people forget the number of times the Bills are on defense and we get eaten up by a run play. It happens all the time. Can you discuss the nuance in your perspective? Um, Here's the deal. Let's talk about Ken Dorsey a little bit and my perception of him and maybe other people's perception. The reality is I can't speak of other people's process for how they arrive at conclusions. I can tell you that I consistently show my work on this podcast. I do the All-22 review, which is a massive time commitment, but I do that so that I can come back to you and provide you with honest takes with complete clarity on what is happening. And I can tell you three out of three times this year, not only have I thought Ken Dorsey had the right game plan, but I've also been impressed with a lot of the wrinkles and layers that he's had baked into the plan. Ken Dorsey is currently coaching the number two scoring offense in the NFL so far in 2023 after he coordinated the number two scoring offense in the NFL in all of 2022 last year in his first season on the job. And so I think the perception of Ken Dorsey for so many people is rooted in how people perceive Josh Allen is performing. And don't get me wrong. The offensive coordinator is a huge factor in how the starting quarterback is playing. But I think that is essentially the top thing that people consider. They're not studying the scheme. They're not seeing how the quarterback is set up for success and the answers that are provided and how the quarterback functions. It's completely results-based. And I think if you look at Josh Allen this year, he's played three games. One was an absolute disaster. One was great, and one was okay. And so I think that's what it comes down to. You've only seen great Josh Allen one time this year. 
Saw okay Josh Allen one time and a disaster Josh Allen one time. Well, Ken Dorsey. It's Ken Dorsey. And so I'm 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 curious what what the alternative offensive coordinator people would like the Bills to have. Because I don't think Andy Reid's coming, folks. And people want to bring up Brian Dayball. You miss Brian Dayball. Well, maybe we should start giving Josh Allen more credit for making Brian Dayball. Dable's offenses have not been good without Josh Allen. Without Josh Allen, Brian Dable's offenses have ranked 32, 29, 22, and 24. That's before he got to Buffalo. Now, in Buffalo, they ranked 30, 24, 2, and 5. But his first year with the Giants, they were 18th, and so far they're 28th this year. So maybe that it's the other way around where Josh Allen deserves a lot more credit for Brian Dable's glow up as a coach. I respect Brian Dable. I like him. But I mean, if you're if you're on social media at all, there's probably like three good offensive coordinators out there based on the way people talk about offensive coordinators. It's just the low-hanging, easy thing to blame. It's never execution. It's never the players. It's never our favorite player not doing exactly what he's supposed to do. It's play caller. Bad play call. I don't know. I think there's a lot more nuance to it that people overlook. And it's not just binary. Is Josh Allen playing great? Yes. Okay, Ken Dorsey's amazing. Is is Josh Allen playing poor? Yes, he is playing poor. Oh, well, Ken Dorsey stinks. There's more to it. And I don't think a lot of people are willing to open up to all of the layers to give you the right answer to the question. Am I in love with Ken Dorsey? No, I'm not in love with Ken Dorsey. But he's fine. I'm satisfied with him. He's coaching productive offenses. I think he's had really good game plans this year. You're never going to watch a football game. That's what I would challenge you to do. And I've said this before on this podcast. Watch other football with the same critical eye that you have towards the Bills. Pretend that team is the Bills that you're watching. And then see see, see how that makes you feel. See how that makes you feel. I think you'd be surprised. All right, we got a bunch more to get to here in just a moment. But first, I need to tell you about Jace Medical. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why the Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you a peace of mind so that you're not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure that you have the medication in hand. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. So don't get caught unprepared. Get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using my code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. All right, let's talk about those second and long runs because I know that that's been a conversation here. Kevin says, can you speak to your thoughts on the Bills' first down plays, I continue to be frustrated by their offensive efficiency on early downs. The offense faced a second and eight plus 17 times against Washington, and they continue to run the ball on second and long in many of those looks. As previously discussed in the pod, football is often about math, and running against light boxes has a higher success rate. But do you think that fails to consider the context of the situation? The defense wants to force a run because an average successful running play still results in a third and long obvious passing down. Uh, Well, 
I don't, I push back a little bit there. If you have a successful run on second and eight, a successful run would be like what four or five yards. It, it's third and short. And so I would agree with you that there have been times this year where the second and long runs have been frustrating. But I think the thought process there is that you're trying to get to third and manageable. And your your running back, James Cook, is is also averaging six yards per carry, over six yards per carry this year. And so I think that's what the thought process is. Let's not let second and long turn into third and long with an incomplete pass. I get it. I don't love him as well. Like, I'm not sitting here defending this all the time, but that's the thought process. And then there's the other layer to this that you can't just be completely predictable based on down and distance. You have to have a two-dimensional threat at all times. And so if every time that you're in second and seven plus, you throw the ball, well, guess what defenses are going to figure out? That you got to throw the ball. And so I think having that threat, defenses at second and eight against the Bills, Okay, you're thinking pass, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, wow, well, they do run the ball a lot in this situation as well. We got to be prepared for both, right? That's what goes into those decisions. And so, look, I, again, I, I don't love them either, but that's why it happens. It's not just running the ball to run the ball. There's a purpose behind it. Nick says, after three weeks, what would you say is the Bills' biggest weakness? It feels like outside of a Josh Allen semi-meltdown in week one, they played pretty solid, sound, complimentary football. I'm obviously very confident that Josh Allen isn't a weakness. So if you had to pick a weakness, what do you feel like it would be? Uh, I had to think a little bit harder about this than I thought I would have to. I think there's four things that stand out to me. Number one is first down offense. We've talked about it. Self-explanatory. Be better on first down so that third down is going to be a little more manageable. Uh, Number two, I think the run defense can still be a touch leaky. Uh, Bills are giving up like the most yards per carry in the NFL this year. I think that's inflated because of the 83-yard run against the Jets, and then the Commanders had a couple of explosive runs against the Bills, but you kind of live with it. But I think there's still some leakiness to the run defense, even though overall I feel pretty good about the run defense, and when they want to stop the run, they do well. But it can be a touch leaky. I think tackling on defense is a bit of a concern. You had 13 missed tackles against the Jets. You had 10 more against the Commanders. Some of your defensive linemen are kind of missing some chances to get tackles for loss, but also Matt Milano has a 20% missed tackle rate already this year. Need that to come down in half. So tackling on defense. And then I don't think kick and punt coverage has been as strong this year as I've felt about it in years past. I used to love when the Bills would kick off the ball and you, you know, you tackle that returner at the 17 or the 15 or the 20. And I love that the Bills didn't concede the 25-yard line to teams. This year, they don't feel like they're a strong cover in those kicks and punts. They've already given up a punt return touchdown. Wind up being a, a game-winning punt return touchdown in overtime against the Jets. So I think the kick and punt coverage has not been quite as strong. So first down offense, run defense can be leaky, tackling on defense, and then kick and punt coverage. Uh, Davin says, could you see Kyer Elam being active on Sunday? Not to take away snaps from Benford, but maybe in certain packages to give the Bills a little more speed and coverage ability on defense. Um, I, I can respect the question. I appreciate the question, but I am not anticipating Kyer Elam to be active. He's the fourth quarterback, cornerback for this team. The Bills have told us very clearly that their top three cornerbacks are Trey White, Christian Benford, and Dane Jackson. Kyer Elam's the fourth guy. Now, 
Can you make a case for it? Of course you can. Press coverage ability, straight line speed, feels like that could be useful against Miami. But he's also your fourth corner. And so, and I mean, he played these guys pretty good last year in that playoff game too. So I understand the question. I get it. But if he's your fourth corner, he's your fourth corner. I'm not expecting Kyrie Elam to be active for this game. Again, I could be wrong, but I find it hard to believe that all of a sudden a guy that has been inactive for three games, a healthy scratch, is suddenly going to be part of your game plan. And again, I'll say this. The book is not written on Kyrie Elam. He's 22. He's a year and a half younger than Dalton Kincaid. We've seen other Bills players that everybody wrote off step in and develop, right? There's certainly a path for this to happen. The Bills still have control for the next three seasons after this one with Kyer Elam. So let's let it play out. But every week I get questions about Kyer Elam, and I certainly understand it this week because of Miami and speed and all that stuff. But the Bills have repeatedly told us that he's CB4. And so I'm, I'm not expecting him to be active. Next one here call comes from Kevin. Kevin says, an offensive play calling, he says, on offensive play calling, I'm generally okay with Ken Dorsey so far, but I do have a question about gadget plays in short yardage situations. On gadget plays, it seems like last year and this year, we try to force it early to McKinsey and Hardy, and it largely doesn't work, and we abandon the idea until the next game. Is there a better or different way to incorporate this into the offense, or should we just focus more on standard offense? On short yardage situations, again, it feels like we are making it harder than we need to on Josh by often lining up in shotgun as opposed to under center. The Eagles seem to have the short yardage well figured out, and the offensive line has been playing well. Why not take a page from the Eagles? All right, so let's talk about short yardage and this gadget roll. I like the idea of the gadget roll. I really do. I like the idea of what Deontay Hardy can bring, and I liked a lot of what Isaiah McKenzie brought. It just has not been effective yet this year. I think a lot of that is timing-based, right? And Deontay Hardy has played three games for the Bills. It's first year in this offense. Like, I, I certainly understand that. My issue with Hardy is I just, he doesn't look explosive to me. Like, I think you have to be really fast for this stuff to work, and he doesn't, he doesn't look like a guy that makes me hold my breath when he has the ball in his hands. Not like what he looked like for the Saints, and I'm nervous about that turf toe and how it's maybe affected his, his explosiveness. So, you know, maybe Hardy's still trying to get healthy, and it's new for him. So I'm, I'm mindful there, but, like, I want it to be more effective. And maybe that's coming down the line, but so far this year it doesn't look good. And I think there's a fair point that you make there. Like, there's been this trend of early game scripts that include this gadget stuff, and then it just goes away. So, yeah, I think that's probably something that they need to look at. Um, the timing of getting that stuff going and, you know, what, when those moments are the most appropriate. As for short yardage overall, I, I'm with you. Shotgun ain't it for short yardage. I mean, it's fourth and one. Josh Allen's your quarterback. Sneak it. Sneak it. You got Osiris Torrance, this road-grading, big physical dude. Like, tuck it up in that A gap and get a friggin' yard. I'm with you. Short yardage, do not be giving me them shotgun looks at all. The last one here is from Nate, and Nate doesn't necessarily have a question. He just has a statement. And so I'll read that. Nate says, I just want to take a minute to say that people are so fast to jump on Josh Allen when he has a bad game. And while I admit it's aggravating to accept that sometimes he's just going to have those high turnover games, he's also the most electric player 
let alone quarterback, to ever play for our franchise. And the odds of us seeing another quarterback with that type of talent in a Bills uniform after Josh in our lifetime is slim to none. And so even if the Bills don't win a Super Bowl with Josh Allen, I fear too many Bills fans will get towards the end of their lives and look back and realize this was the best era of Bills football they ever watched, and they wished they had appreciated it more. The top five offense every season along with the AFC East Championships so I'm just trying to appreciate greatness while it's right in front of us. I think there's some truth to what you're saying there, Nate, but I want a trophy. I want a trophy. And what creates some of that emotion is that you feel like this is a quarterback that can do it, and you want to maximize this opportunity to do it, or else you will get to the end of the road and realize that the Bills didn't get it done. But I'll tell you what, I just don't see Josh Allen being denied for his entire career. I don't. I just don't. I think our day's coming, and we're in that window. So let's do enjoy it. But come on now. Let's get one of those trophies at one Bills drive. All right, folks. That's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. We're going to turn our attention now to the Miami Dolphins. Big game, right? Big game. And so we're going to have plenty of conversations about it. We're going to have Kyle Krabs for uh, Crossover Thursday, host of Locked on Dolphins. We have our primer. We have my final thoughts on Saturday and a little something extra for you this week as well because it's a big question that you guys have for me, how to stop the Miami Dolphins. And so I'm going to share some thoughts on that, but I'm going to bring in some outside opinion as well. So don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed. We would love it. If you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast, have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. Look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.